Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. In today's episode, we have a real titan of the podcast world. We have Mark Metry, who uh, founded the Humans 2.0 podcast, and it is one of Forbes' top 100 podcasts in the world. So that is an amazing achievement in sort of the world of the Tim Ferriss, of the Gary V kind of world. So it's amazing to have him as a guest. It's a conversation not to be missed. So many magical moments and golden nuggets of information. And it really is a deep dive into anxiety, into how anxious people can come out from themselves? What steps do they need to take in order to do that? How can we spot it? How does our brain work? As Mark describes the virus inside the brain and the malfunction that leads to so many bad and negative outcomes that we need to rewire. We need to have a process to do that. And he walks us through step by step some of his amazing stories, personal experiences. And it's uh, stay in for the whole episode because it really is a great one. I love the conversation and I know you will too. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Decoding AQ. I have with me a titan of the podcast industry. I have a Mark Metry with us. Welcome. Ross, thank you so much for having me on, man. And, you know, really, it's just waking up every morning and, and just executing day after day. And then years later, you look up and you're like, wow, I've done over 600 podcast episodes, you know, so it's been a cool journey. Thank you for having me on. I'm honored. That's great. Thanks, Mark. And that's certainly a, a 10x from where I'm at. You know, I'm at about 50, so 600, there's there's room for me to grow. But in terms of um, you, Mark, what really intrigued me and excited me for this conversation was how you articulated your life's goal, you know, and your life's goal around education in the education system and wanting to really change it and shift it to be more fit for purpose, that it is in a meaningful way that actually there's access for everyone to education, regardless of maybe their location, their race, their economic group. And I think there's a whole body of people working on that challenge, right? That's the beauty of it. But everyone comes with their own story, their own lens and their own view. So perhaps where did it start for you in your journey from an intern, you know, in this massive organization that employed 20,000 odd people uh, back in 2015 to where you are now? What were some of the key things that led you to this goal and articulation of reevaluating and relooking at how the education system works? So give us a little bit of a history. Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting that you, you say that because um, I think one of the things that I learned, uh, you know, throughout being an intern and, and doing these different things, like you said, was that nobody really knows anything. And I, I don't mean to say that and to like discredit anybody or to not say that experts are experts. I think that's all very great. But I think a lot of the times, like when you are a younger person, you're just sort of like going through the world and you're dealing with your obstacles. You're trying to learn, you're trying to, you know, make yourself into a better person. And I think a lot of the times, like there are these rules or like there are these sort of, uh, you know, structured ways of, of doing things. And personally for me, like when I was an intern, um, I didn't even think that I was going to 
like get that position in the first place. And I remember when I was interning at this, you know, organization, um, you know, they had assigned me like this entire summer project, this summer, um, like group that I was supposed to run. And it basically took me about two weeks for me to, to like go above and beyond what they had asked me to. And I remember after I finished the project, I was like, okay, what else should I do? And they were just like, do whatever you want. And I remember just like spending the rest of my time, just like literally either like playing video games or like randomly looking things up online. And I think having that experience in some situations, it taught me that like, just because you see an organization that is maybe making billions of dollars, maybe they have thousands of employees it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going about it the right way, or it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going about it the most efficient way. And I think that experience really taught me like, oh, yeah, of course, maybe not all of my ideas are great. I'm definitely not the best at everything. I don't have all the skills in the world. But also like it just goes to teach you like these things that I think are set in stone, like in our perspectives or in our societies about how the education system works or how the healthcare system works. Like a lot of these things are not based off what is actually in the best interest of each person or, or even really like the core values, but really just like, you'd be surprised to see how much change can happen through one person, yeah. a small group of people. Um, and so I think that's been the biggest lesson of like, you know, me growing up, uh, you know, and going to school, and then coming out of that, it's me realizing like, oh, you know, there's so many people out there. There's so many kids who are, you know, they're being told or it's just sort of implied that maybe they're stupid because maybe they don't get the, the best grades in school. Um, it's just a real fact now that I've known of like, you know, the way that you view yourself is really defined by the system's of society that you are the most involved in. And some of those you have no control over, some of those you have no idea. And then to climb out of that and be like, wait, you can actually do a lot of different things that maybe you always wanted to do, uh, but in a different way to get a different result. And so I know that's like a very long, complicated answer, but um, that's really it. And, and now, now that I know that, it's definitely given me the ultimate perspective to be able to work with many different kinds of people to fix all kinds of you know, big problems in the world. It is, I guess, this realization at various points in our life of what might have come before was designed with the best intent at the moment it was designed. But when things shift and change, have we given ourselves permission to redesign it? And it's not mm. necessarily that things are broken. They just haven't been designed for the environment they now exist in. And I, I remember um, a conversation I had with John Anderson to come to a point that you were just making there about, uh, you know, he's a big fan of Pareto's rule of the 80-20. And he said, 80% mm. of our beliefs aren't actually our own beliefs. You know, And it really made me think because, well, what do I believe? Do I believe it because of my environment, because of my family, because mm. my social, because of work, because of all these other things? Or have I come to that belief on my own? Or am I just borrowing that belief of others? So we have of you what you called in the word you used was perception. Had mm. this perception that, oh, a company, because it's making billions, must be doing everything right. And then we see from our own eyes a different perspective and we see opportunity for change and improvement. And mm. I think what's, what's different sometimes is whilst people can perceive, do they act? 
So I might mm. perceive a need for change, but do I, have, do I feel uh, that I can? Do I feel that I'm right allowed? Now. Do I, you know, <laughs> do I feel that I have permission? Have I given myself permission? And I find it interesting where, you know, I'm a, a tech geek who loves technology, but it's there to serve us. We need to find what the real challenges are and the problems are and let it come and serve. And one of the things that you, you know, again, as I've been reading and, you know, doing my homework before a conversation and things was just this sense of dedicating your life to the service of others and that, you know, mental health has become this, you know, huge tsunami of movement and motion. And your area as it started out and things was very much about your own journey and own self as this introvert and this thing about being shy and uh, how do we come out from that? So tell me a little bit more about not only what struggles you may be faced, but how what you've been doing with other people have helped them really live well in front of others or live their best versions of themselves and what impact that's had on people. I'd be just really fascinated to know more about that. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. And, uh, you know, I also come from like a tech background too, and, and I was heavily involved in all these different, um, like tech companies and different tech industries. And, uh, like in 2017, I sort of just like took a pause and I was just like, you know what, all this technology is cool. It's very important. But I think one of the things that I realized was like, but what about the technology that's in here? That's like in our brains. Right. And personally for me, like I found myself, you know, in a spot where of course, like technology has completely changed my life for the better, for sure. But also like, I also found myself, you know, whether it was, you know, when I was, you know, back in 2015, back when I was like obese using Uber Eats and Postmates to like order food or just like watch TV all day or play video games all day or do whatever else with technology. And I really started to realize like, oh, technology is just a double, for the most part, it's a double-edged sword, right? And it's really dependent on the user. But the thing is that if the user's technology, which is their brain, if that's not working at the best of their capabilities, then what's going to happen is that they're actually going to use that technology and rely on that technology to escape from themselves. And so that's for me when I really started to be like, hey, technology is cool. I definitely want to be involved with it. But hey, I want to focus on like the original technology, right? And like, for example, what we were saying about perception, that that's a huge part of it too, because, um, you know, you could even argue and say that, you know, your perception is essentially like the unique set of glasses that your brain learns how to build. And so much of that is created through beliefs, right? So like when I'm walking, there's my brain has a belief of like, oh, when I stick my left foot out and I put my foot on the ground, the ground is not going to collapse. Like I'm going to continue to be alive. And so I think there is like literally thousands and thousands and thousands of beliefs at the most microscopic level, like with the example of the leg and the floor that I gave. But there's also maybe higher up beliefs, you know, whether it's your political values or, or you know, whatever you, you, you uniquely believe in or your religion. Um, and I think that's so complicated. It, like there, it really is so complicated. There's tens of thousands of beliefs that your brain is trying to operate in like a millisecond basis. And so I think a lot of the times, like that's why 
our brain naturally would just rather accept uh, a, a belief, even if it may not be true, than to try to like discover what that means for our own, because that can be very complicated. And a lot of the times in life, like what I've learned is that everything is true in terms of like everything is paradoxical. You know, like you can't make a, an absolute statement because somewhere in some in instance, you're going to get the reverse, which is also true. And so that can be very complicated. Right. And so rather than our brain trying to figure that out, it's just like, all right, this is true or this is false or this is it. Um, and I think a lot of the times, unless you have an experience that completely melts down your perception to where you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I was thinking like this. A lot of the times, like I th think you can go your entire life and not even question that perception, you know, and, and I think that then leads to a lot of other problems in your life that, that someone can have, you know, and, you know, personally for me, uh, you know, when I look at the problems that I've faced over my life, um, you know, a lot of them have been with my, you know, health, whether it's been in terms of um, like having social anxiety. And I remember for me, um, I was never really shy. I was never really an introvert. And there was a period for me when I was about eight, nine years old, where my family and I moved from the, the inner city to this area that was very much like a small town. And, um, and this small town had like five, 6,000 people in it. And uh, let's just say that this town was not the most racially diverse and this was also in America post 9-11. And my parents came from Egypt from to America. So I just like remember facing a tremendous amount of uh, just like discrimination and, and bullying, which um, really made me be stuck for about 10 years. And I was literally just lost in this sort of just bubble in my brain. And it really wasn't until I was about like 18 years old where I found myself aware that I had social anxiety, but unfortunately that didn't solve my problem. And I found myself obese. I found myself depressed. I found myself socially isolating myself. I found myself even suicidal at one point. And that for me was like the massive, you know, slam in the head that completely shifted my perspective that enabled me to be like, oh my God, you know, like I have had to, you know, have faced all these problems in my life for a reason. And I also started to become aware that like our brain is very much a, a machine. And I think a lot of the times too, I, you know, whenever my social anxiety would be triggered or my depression would be triggered and I would face these thoughts, I would always take those thoughts so personally. Like I would always be like, wow, I can't believe I'm such a loser. I can't believe I can't talk to people. Um, nobody likes me. I have no value to the world. But then as I got older and as I experienced these mental health issues in front of my eyes, like being suicidal, like really my brain breaking, I slowly but surely started to realize like, oh, my brain is like this machine that just like takes stuff that it's heard before that it thinks is important and internalizes it into my own code of my software. And then it spits it back to me in my own voice. And then from that, it makes me have this emotional reaction. And then from that emotional reaction, then I go through these set of habits and these processes that make me feel worse about myself and make me think all these different things. And so that for me was, I think, like one of the most significant things that I experienced to put it in short, because it really just taught me 
you know, everything that I just taught you about technology and, and the brain. Um, and, and it's, and it's interesting. And then also like, you know, just to, as for context, like when I was at that point, you know, where I wasn't in a great spot with my mental health on paper, I had everything I wanted. Um, I, I was making six figures from something that I enjoyed doing. Um, I had a great family. I had great friends. Um, but yet there was like an internal glitch, a bug in my hardware due to a variety of different reasons that prevented me from my perspective from shifting. And so I think that's been the like really at the crux of it all, if that makes sense. It does a lot, you know, and this realization that the wiring and the system that's inside our skull is influenceable. And most of the time we wander through life without really recognizing that of just how influenced it is from our environment, from the information and feed that we put into the neural net that then multiplies, you know, it's a, it multiplies that. So it will find technology or find beliefs. It will find these things and multiply what we're putting in. And as a chemical junkie that is so in need of energy, you know, it uses so much energy. I was mm. so surprised that, you know, the calorie burn of a, a chess player, a grandmaster chess player during a piece can like burn 6,000 calories. That's and it's crazy. Like we, we, I had this belief that, ah, oh, we burn calories when we go and exercise. You know, I see the Olympics, <laughs> it's sports, I run a marathon, you know, you do these things. But actually the energy and power that our mind needs to make sense of all this stuff, to help us with decisions, to help us with beliefs and how much of it is conscious and unconscious. And mm. I think, you know, what intrigued me again, part of this, you know, your original podcast, it was humans, uh, you know, humans 2.0 yeah. that now has become a social anxiety society. And that shift for you of this sense of anxiety those are things that maybe are wired in the brain that technology in our modern world has multiplied. <laughs> and it's become this sense where, as you said, you can see and perceive from the outside, all is great, but on the inside, be so empty and be so out of whack. And that journey that everyone has to go on to find that inner alignment, you know, to find those things to deal with, anxiety, which is, well, I'd be interested. What, what does anxiety mean to you? How would you articulate that in the context of what you've just been talking about of yeah. our brains and wiring and, you know, is it a glitch in the system? What is anxiety to you? That's a great question. So I definitely think, you know, part of it is definitely like natural, you know, it's like a built in system, you know, to get you like, you know, like, for example, I remember one time, like three years ago, I was, I was walking uh, in the street of Boston and we were at the Boston Museum of Science and we were coming out and we were crossing the street. And then all of a sudden I heard loud noises. And the next thing I knew, I just saw this van, this car literally come up. And like in a matter of seconds, my body just jumped out of the way and it like sort of already knew what to do. And then when I looked back at that moment, like if, if anyone has ever had like sort of a traumatic moment like that, your brain and your body, it does what it's got to do. And then you think back to it and you're like, wait, what just sort of happened? And there's like a part of your brain that almost feels like it's been suspended. And then like the survival part just took over to get you to do whatever you need to do to survive. But then now you're back. 
that's sort of a similar way that I look at ang- of anxiety. And I think the issue when it when it comes to anxiety is that, you know, everyone gets anxious is totally normal. But when you, especially like, you know, as a kid, as a teenager, uh, or even as a young adult, or, or even when you're an adult, when these things are happening and, and maybe it's not a van coming to hit you, maybe in the case for someone like me, it's a social scenario, or maybe for someone else, it's a, it's a different sort of a vibe. And especially if you live in a society where mental health is not really talked about, you know, especially back when I was a kid, you can sort of have no idea. And so what happens is you have these thoughts, you have these emotions that everybody has, but you never process them. And then the next day you're in the same environment, the same thoughts come up. And then the next day you're in the same environment and then these, the same thoughts come up and then these different stresses happen and these things happen. And basically what I think what happens is um, you get to this level where it really becomes like this algorithm. It really becomes to where this thing of like, hey, uh, something happens in the environment, your brain reacts a certain way. But then what happens is if your brain is constantly surrounded by that, that's what your brain becomes. So it becomes this automatic algorithm where every day, every moment, every second, your brain is constantly trying to figure out, okay, when's the, when's the next van coming to hit me? And then next thing you know, it starts to take down different parts of your life. So for example, if you have social anxiety and your brain is constantly freaking out over these you know, social interactions, then you walk away And you're like, wow, I guess everyone hates me or like, wow, I guess there's something wrong with me, which then starts to chip away at your sense of self-esteem. And then now you don't like yourself and now you don't have any sense of self-worth. And that may lead to maybe addiction or substance abuse problems. And so it really becomes what I call like this algorithmic virus that really just destroys your life and it destroys your, you know, your brain. And, And what happens is when you experience this, especially at a young age, you're eight, nine, 10, 11, 13, that's like the most common age, you have no idea. And so instead of going through like a recovery process, like the same way that, for example, if you break your leg, you know, we live in a society where you go to the doctor, they know exactly how to take care of that. They put you through this system of, Hey, put this cast on, then put this crutch on, then put this cast on. But when it comes to mental health, when it comes to something like this happening, that doesn't exist. And I think yeah. what happens is you, re- you, you reach a level to where you're 18, 19, 20, early 20s, and your brain breaks. And, 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 and whether that has to do with you get in a bad relationship, or now you're in maybe a toxic work environment, and these things just add to the next thing you know, there's just the, the virus, so to speak, it takes its toll. And what happens is it creates like these mini algorithms within your own brain. And next thing you know, it's not just your thoughts. It's not just your emotions. It literally just becomes your brain's automatic programming, its belief system. And then when that happens too, then you may have other issues as well. You know, like, for example, you talked about, you know, the brain consuming a lot of calories. I see so many people today, you know, in their job, because most people today who at least are in a career that they really enjoy, a lot of the work that they have to do is similar to a chess player. It's very yeah, creative. It's it's very, yeah. yeah. It's cognitive. It's strategic. 
And I find that a lot of people, you know, they're usually sitting at like two ends of the extreme. For example, they are, they're barely eating and they're just like surviving off, you know, water and like protein shakes or they're obese and they're eating too much junk food. You know, they're either, um, you know, a lot of people, they're not going outside. The world of extremes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's so many different factors. And then what happens is your brain starts to decline and decline, decline. And you just create so many other, other algorithms, other viruses. And then what happens is that controls your real world ability, right? So the same way that if you have a computer and you get a virus and let's say, you know, for the sake of this example, you know, the virus, it doesn't allow you to get internet access. For example, let's say it blocks your internet connection. That's like social anxiety. It blocks your ability to connect and be social with people. Um, you know, maybe you, for example, a lot of people who've experienced these problems, a lot of them have memory issues, for example. Um, so for example, like the virus, it takes over the Ram of your computer. Now you don't even remember, you know, you, you have memory or maybe now you have energy issues. You have issues waking up. You can't really stay focused. You feel like you're always tired. So then that affects what you're doing in your life, you know? And yeah. so it's really like this thing that I think starts off as a very small seed and if not addressed and if not dealt with in the right way, it just like tumbles and goes into this algorithm, into this virus that affects every area Everything. of your life. And it's going to be brutal. You know, I find it really interesting how everyone, you know, rationalizes decisions, thoughts, examples, and understanding through stories. And this, mm. uh, I, I love analogies myself. It's something how I, you know, try to understand the world. And this analogy of, you know, an event when we say thank you to the way our brain works when a van is about to hit us and it avoids it. But then downstream from that, if our brain is thinking, oh, that new van is something that isn't a van, it's not life threatening. But we get that amygdala hijacking mm. that uh, takes over, that actually decreases our cognitive ability to make good decisions. Mm. It then, as you say, perpetuates these downstream events that manifests in all sorts of things that then become more observable. You know, mm. obesity or um, you know sleeping issues or all of these things mm. are downstream from this initial malfunction in the system as you put it you know this uh virus that's in there that has basically dealing with uncertainty and that if we deal with it incorrectly and think that uncertainty is life-threatening we get that amygdala hijack and we then perpetuate this problem of not being able to make rational decisions and they become more mm. led by this anxiety virus uh, that's in there and the work we're doing about figuring out how do people adapt? You know, what are the abilities? What's the characters and what is the environment? You know, things like psychological safety in a team that we can share challenges. Well, having that environment helps us lower this amygdala hijacking for somebody for us to be ourselves and not be judged. But if we're the ones judging, we need our own level of psychological safety, let alone team uh, psychological safety. And I think this is important work. Right. It's important work for us all to do is to make sure we're wiring for the environment correctly. It's a bit like coming back full circle and take a system, healthcare, education. It was fit for purpose when it was designed. It's not broken. It's now just no longer fit for purpose. The way in which our fear system and amygdala worked when 
ah, there's a life-threatening event, do this, it's now no longer necessarily fit for purpose when it's not life-threatening, but we think it might be uncertainly. Oh, am I going to lose my job? I'm not going to lose a job. Is this happening? Is this happening? And suddenly it, that snowball effect happens. And I wonder, yeah, you know, the this challenge of uh, the last 18 months where we're going through this global experiment of what mass <laughs> uncertainty is, what mass yeah. rapid shift and change in every industry and in everyone's habits, everyone's lives, what we, you know, we're used to doing and we, we crave certainty with a little bit of uncertainty, right? But not too much of it, you know, like it on our terms, but not when it's not on our terms. What are the, some of the challenges or things that you've seen that can proactively help with that? You know, we talk about, oh, resilience is an answer, or this is an answer, or meditation, or all of these things. Where do people start in having those conversations with themselves and maybe trying to deal with that virus? You know, is there a vaccine for this, you know, uh, anxiety <laughs> virus? Is there a, a, a process we can go through? And I know you do a lot of work in this area, leveraging VR tech or just straightforward things. What can you advise people to help to understand? They don't, might not even realize they're anxious about things, but they see a downstream effect coming out and they need to go back words to solve root cause uh so give us a little bit of your thought mark on that yeah yeah what a question what a question i would definitely you know want to flip the question back to you as well um unfortunately i do i don't think that there is uh you know some sort of a virus or not a virus i don't think there's some sort of a vaccine, vaccine yet. Yeah, yeah um but i think really what it is is um so I think obviously it depends on the person, but I think what is the most helpful is you need to have some sort of an experience that can show you firsthand the opposite of what you're feeling. So for me, for example, like one of these feelings was, you know, being able to, uh, you know, work on myself, for example, and learn healthy habits so that in about, I think like maybe six months time, uh, whether it was my energy or my sense of motivation or how I woke up in the morning, it was fundamentally different. Um, you know, I had told you before about, you know, like always having sleep problems as a kid. And I literally remember the first day I didn't have sleeping problems. It was like November of 2016. And I woke up and I was like, huh, I, I fell asleep. Huh, what, what's going on? That's what good sleep feels like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm like, what just happened? And I, and when you experience that, I think what's happening is you're directly showing your brain the opposite of what it believes it's true. And I think once you have that sort of benchmark, so I think a lot of the times too, like, um, you know, when you live your life and the algorithm is year by year taking you down you live this very static life. It's a very black and white life where every day you show up and the same things happen. The same people talk to you in a certain way, the same experiments, the same reactions happen. And I think when that happens, you stop using your mind. You stop thinking accurately. And what happens is you start to really just like replace critical thinking with overthinking, right? And like, getting a thought multiple times, that's not you thinking. That is the algorithm putting out more of the, the stuff. And so a lot of times when you live a life like that, you just don't think it's possible to feel any different. Like it's, it's, you feel like you're completely hopeless. And so I think having an experience 
like a physical biochemical experience where your brain is like, huh, wait, actually, maybe we're wrong. Like, huh, maybe actually there is a different way to work. I think that's one. I think that's huge. And then I think number two is going through similar to what I said of like, if you break your leg, you have to go through this recovery process to where you go to the doctor, you know, they put you in like this three-stage program where they give you, they give you a cast and then they maybe transition you to crutches. Because I think if you're not doing that, you're always just going to be putting band-aid options. Right. And like, for example, um, physical exercise, right? Exercise is so good for you. It's great. I go for a walk every day. I go to the gym every day. I, I move, I do yoga. All these things are great. Physical exercise is amazing. You, you need it. But for example, like I think one of the issues that come with having something like mental health now being like mainstream is that I think people just associate you know, mental health or self-care with just like things that feel good in the moment. And I think the issue with that is, of course, you should do that. Of course, that's great. But again, if you don't go down to the root process, if you don't go through a recovery process, but like every day to deal with like depression or social anxiety you've had every day, you just like go exercise and you just don't do anything else. You may, of course, like you're doing something, something is better than nothing for sure, but it's not really a step-by-step process for you to like go down in in the roots. Right. Um, And like, personally for me, like just as an example for that was like, personally for me, like one of the things that I had to do is like, I had to learn how to feel safe when talking to people and in my relationships. And what I didn't know for so long was that part of my social anxiety came from part of my brain being like, Hey, this person who you're talking to, whether it's even my parents or my, or my best friends, it was like, Hey, this person is going to reject you they're going to hate you. And so you should hide who you are and create this fake version of yourself uh, that is societally acceptable. And when you do that, you know, one time it's okay. When you do that a second time, your brain starts to learn like, aha, we have like a coping mechanism to try to deal with this. And I think a lot of the times things that we do to just survive in the moment to help us feel a little bit better those don't actually make us better in in the long term, you know? And so it's really like this step-by-step process of feeling safe in relationships. It's really trying to figure out like who you are. It's trying to figure out like, how has your memory uh, like messed you up and what are the wrong ways that you think about yourself? You know, it's going through like this systematic process to then be able to climb out of that and then be able to, for example, be confident, you know, because a lot of times when people think social anxiety, they think, oh, well, you're, you're a little shy when it comes to people. Oh, just be more confident or, or speak up. And like, that may be the outward, you know, uh, appearance of it, but on the inside, it is a, it is a cycle of these psychological battles with your biochemistry. And you really have to go down into like a, a recovery process step-by-step because if you don't, you're just going to be chasing band-aid fixes yeah. and the same issue is going to be there. And you're not going to build a sense of understanding for yourself or a sense of even self-love for yourself. And um, it's very tricky. It's very, very, very tricky for sure. It is. It, it, you made me think about a few different things here. One, the first point that you were making about mental flexibility, life is a paradox. 
you know, and trying and seeking out these opposites to give your brain some other data inputs. And one of the things that we found, because we measure mental flexibility and in that ability to hold two opposing thoughts in the same time and not end up in a padded cell, right? It's not easy. Mm. And to challenge something that we believe, I think an, an area that's helpful is don't start with the big stuff. You know, if this is a deep rooted belief, going and finding the opposite to that is going to mm. be hard work for you. So find things that are maybe a little bit more open for, is that really a deep belief or you're not sure? Or maybe give yourself some other opposites, a different paradox, a different thought and work there so that you build confidence to allow yourself to think differently. Mm. I loved your comment about, you know, just thinking the same thought over and over again is not critical thinking, you know, and that was a, a lovely moment, Mark, uh, that I think just letting that sink in for people is an important part. The other one that made me think is, a lot of us know the right stuff, right? We see it. You talk about exercise, right? We all know we've got to eat well, we've got to exercise well, but can we do it? And then if we have a moment where we don't do it, does that make us worse? Oh, I didn't do my yoga yesterday, so am I now more anxious about it? Versus, well, I, if I blissfully go through life not even knowing yoga was a good thing for me to do, maybe I'm less anxious. So because we're so overexposed to all of these great, here's this tip, here's this hack, here's this thing, it puts this immense pressure on us to be the version of, oh, I've got to pursue this, I've got to do that, and I've, I've got to do this new thing that I just listened to Mark and Ross talk about and, and these yeah. bits. It's just to sometimes give yourself a break. And as you said, prepare for the event. So the cast, the recovery, prepare for that mental event. So yeah. oh, if that mental event is the choice to do yoga or is the choice to go and uh, look at an alternative viewpoint, what preparation are you doing for that? You know, yeah. is it, uh, have you slept? Have you at well? Have you taken four deep breaths you know, before you go and do it? And so maybe part of that whole process that we can build up is just those slow little things to help us in the recovery to rewire when Rio Wire can, oh, spark, didn't like that, I go back. And we have this fostered acceptability, which is what you talked mm. about at the end there of your, your piece of, oh, we behave this certain way to fit in and it becomes then just our own fostered acceptability of who we are and what we become. But at some point, we have a break. It's no, it's, we have a crisis of identity, a crisis of some form because it's not in alignment and flow. And so... Sometimes it just needs to break. Other times we can think about that, be a bit more reflective and say, I don't want it to break. I'm going to work on these things towards it. So, so many yeah. excellent, you know, just ways to reflect and think. And of course, every time we have conversations, we have a balance of new knowledge mixed with, you know, pressure mixed with, oh, that validated what I was already thinking to, oh, that's different. So all of these things in our mind, as you say, go on. Yeah. For somebody who is maybe not reached a critical moment, suicide thinking, a big event of those things, what are some of the indicators that they could see to maybe catch it earlier? So we're not reacting in a state of complete crisis, but maybe we can put some interventions. What might we see of others um, that we can maybe help them or see of ourselves if we just stepped out for a moment 
or what are maybe yeah. some things that you've seen that could help us be those early warning signals that we yeah. can do something about? This is a great question. Um, I think one is, I think one is fa- is falling into like this nihilistic mindset of like, oh, nothing matters. Nothing I do matters. The world is going to crap. Everyone's going to die. I think that mindset or, you know, the steps leading up to it, I think that's a very dangerous mindset. And uh, that's something that I've been in, I think, a lot of my life. I think that's a huge one. Um, number two is I think anything, any message from your body, you know, so whether it's panic attack, not sleeping at night, um, you feel yourself, your body shaking, you know, some, something like that, maybe something that you don't recognize. I think that is another huge sign. Um, and then I think three too, like when you just think about your life and you just think about like the sense of like fun that you have. Right. And I think a lot of the times I say that because a lot of, I think really productive people, they often like fall into this mindset of just like, you know, they wake up in the morning, they look at their schedule. They're like, okay, I have to prepare for these things. Maybe they already have some sort of a self-care routine, you know, it's exercising yoga and they just sort of go through the motions, but then they're not actually like even having one moment in the day where they just like, you know, laugh like a little kid, or they let themselves get lost in a very deep conversation that stimulates them. Or, you know, they have like a sense of fun, like when they were a kid or a sense of joy. I think that is very important. And, and I often, you know, I sometimes find myself, you know, you know, maybe missing some of those things, you know, every once in a while. And I know that's always a reminder of like, hmm, you got to watch out there, you know, because that's definitely a sign. I think also crying too. I think, I think whether you cry too much or cry too little, I think those are signs too. Um, you know, I know for me, like when I haven't cried, I'm like, that's like a sense of like my emotions kind of hardening up and like this shell developing on the outside of me. And I always know like, you got to cry, you know, and I was I always try to cry. Like, I don't try to cry once a month. It just sort of happens or it doesn't. Um, and I always use that as like, okay, that's an indicator a of, of like, yeah. yeah, of like being emotionally healthy. Um, I think another thing too is, um, you know, like your relationships, because I think, especially like your intimate relationships, you know, if you have a partner, um, I definitely think for the most part, your relationship can be a reflection of you. You know, and I think a lot of times, whether you have a, a... that very quickly, Mark, I've got to grab something from my wall. Okay, on that exact point. Okay, <laughs> go, go. Second. I'm excited. You, you, yeah, you made me smile, and of course, people who are watching this on video, they'll see it. But we can uh, put it. This, I don't know whether you can. Damn, I got to get a screenshot of that. Hold up, hold up. <laughs> There so we go. That's awesome. For, for those who are, uh, are just listening, I've got a, a, a framed piece and it says, the true indicator of a man's character is the health of his wife. And so that comes to your point, right? Is, is that, you know, are we, the people around us, are they healthy? And having great relationships on those things, um, you know, are, are, are important factors, aren't they? Um, so 
just to summarize a couple of those points before we finish up because we're coming to the witching hour yeah look out for the signs and listen for the signs in our body you know whether that's something that is different or we don't recognize really listen to it because it you know that is part of life and we can decide do we want that repeated again or do we want it to be different and so we can reflect and think about that like you say too much crying not enough crying you know are we looking out for these things and do we expose ourselves to the experiences of the fullness of life and the this other part of being ready and prepared to have these things you talked about doing the deep work is going to be hard so having that sort of moments in our time where we have a laugh where we have a cry we have those things helps us to then do the deep work which is going to hurt and be painful but we need those elements and rather than uh, you know this life of balance is just lives of intense presentness you know and deliberate intent into those moments and live them and decide do i want to stay in there or do i want to come out do i want to go over here of those things i think is part of all of our expansion of a fulfilled and valuable life and you know to, for me all around teaching people the skills and environments to adapt in periods of change life is change and yeah. one that is instead of reactive we're proactive to make it on our terms starts with self and knowing that you have choice i think is one of the biggest things that you have choice and to see if the opposite mindset of that negative spiral is a mindset of hope, a belief that tomorrow is going to be better and that I do have a valuable contribution versus tomorrow is going to be worse and I have no valuable contribution. So find if taking your advice, Mark, of that opposite, that paradox, who could you help just in a little way to be in service is a great way of spinning out of that negative spiral that I have no value find someone that you could just go and help in some small way. Um, and that's, you know, a great piece. As a final bit that I ask uh, people that as I've been getting more and more into the podcast is, and it's so linked, I think, is uh, what experience has someone done for the first time? And so my question to you is, uh, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Mm, good question. Let's see here. Um, well, like kind of randomly, um, like last week, I would go for like a walk in this park and I always do that. Um, but then like, for example, I just like started to notice like there were some fish that were swimming <laughs> in like the little, it's like a huge lake. And, um, and I would just like always look at them like every time. And like, for example, last week I was just like, Hey, you know what? Let me just like, let me try to like do some fishing. <laughs> and so basically uh, what I would do is like, I would, you know, throw some pieces of food out and I had like this very small net and I would just like catch these fish. And I just put them in the bucket and then I'd release them at the end. And it was just like a very interesting thing where I was just like, huh, I always walk by, I've seen fish all the time in my life. Um, but just like the act of like catching them, fishing them and then putting them back. It's like a very great feeling. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. So I think that's, that's like the last thing I did that was new. There's also something else I'm forgetting what it is, but I know it's happened like a week ago or so, but that's the one that comes to mind. It's brilliant. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting how different people respond to it. And what I've found as a thread is it's not necessarily something 
so brand new and so out of the ordinary, it was finding the unexpected in something that was normal. Mm. And that is an area where we don't recognize it. We haven't told our brain, hey, we did something different or new unless we reflect on it. Does someone ask Mm. us that question? Oh, no, I did my walk and I just did that on my walk because I go to the walk, see the fish every day. I do that. Whereas, no, something I did every day, I then decided and chose to do something I hadn't done before differently mm. it wasn't so out of the wall it wasn't jumping out of a plane it wasn't these things it was where in my daily life in the things that i always do could i see it through a new set of eyes could i go and explore a new experience and i think that's um something we lose you know when we're young everything's so new everything's new yeah. and as we get older less and less feels new but that's just the lenses and the glasses we look through our experiences and journey through life. So yeah. And we can retrain those lenses. That's the big one. We can. And you have um, developed this, you talked about it a little bit on our conversation today, this need for sort of baby steps and a step-by-step process and following a program uh, through a methodology, through a way in which you can manage social anxiety and, and just, be able to live in your own self, of your authentic self. Uh, so perhaps just give us a little bit of a um, hit to what that program is, what the masterclass is, how do they connect with you, Mark, if that's something that they think, hey, do you know what? A lot of what you've been talking about, I recognize that in myself. I need help. Where would I go if I want to connect with Mark and let you know really connect with how I can be a better version of myself? Yeah, that's a great question. Um... <laughs> So the easy answer is if you go to my website, <laughs> uh, com, there will be an email box and you can put your email in. And every week I send out these very informational articles, uh, newsletters. And if you respond to any of those emails that you get, it'll go directly into my inbox. And I always respond to every single one of those. So if that's of interest, definitely check it out. And yeah, I do have this masterclass that I came out with a few months ago and people can access that if they just go to my website, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com slash program, P-R-O-G-A-R-A-M. Oof, spelling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And really it's, um, and really it's just like, you know, my way of, uh, it's like this 45 day uh, online course, it's anonymous, it's self-paced, uh, part of it is interactive as well. And it's really, it's just designed to, you know, even if someone feels like they can't talk to anyone or they don't want to talk to anyone, it's designed for, you can do it individually. There's also a group, uh, program too, um, where really just every day you wake up and they'll just literally tell you what steps, what you need to learn, how you should learn it, what you need to do. It's like the simplest, you know, possible way I've been working on it for the last two years. So that's definitely the best way where that's people awesome. can check that out and, and please people reach out to me anytime. I'm very accessible. I'd love to hear from people. I love it. Thanks, Mark. And you've given me a thought for maybe we'll have to do a part two because some research mm. that we found a few years back and is becoming more and more developed is this sense of um, people who find it difficult to have conversations with other humans. How are they having conversations with innate beings, i.e. chatbots, you know, AI, all of those things. And not only ones that are, find it difficult, but for all humans and all individuals, 
who they show up with in conversation with technology is different to who they show up with with another human. And mm. a lot of research is showing that they're showing up as more themselves. You know, we think about, oh, you'll create <laughs> this mask and this, you know, oh, I'm going to be this avatar version of myself that's not really real. We uh, found that we're creating that when we see that other humans are going to be there and judging us. And so we'll create a version that we think fits in or is better or is our, you know, alter egos. But if it's not being judged and it's just for us, like an AI coach or those kind of things, we show our inner selves. And <laughs> that, I think, is a fascinating opportunity of where maybe technology can show up and serve us to help us evolve through this uh, challenge and virus that is so rife in society right now of anxiety and mental health challenges and i think there is an opportunity for you know something we're working on that allows accessible almost like the iron man jarvis by your side to deal with whatever challenges you're going through like a best friend would but knows intimately about you and can support you as your you know uh, AI coach. And so I think that's an interesting thing that I'd love to chat to you about another point. Huge, Maybe that'll be another, another one, but there's some amazing work going on in so many different fields from Deepak Chopra, who has digitized and got an AI version of himself to all sorts of uh, areas that, that I think is going to be an interesting society that we're going to be living in very soon. It's so, it's so crazy, man. I remember when I was a kid, like the only times when I remember feeling my best self is when I was online like yeah. playing video games Ready so it makes total sense in you go yeah uh, yeah awesome thanks mark it's been a real eye-opener great fun to hang out and look forward to our next conversation yeah you're awesome ross this was great you're a great host thank you for having me do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill, and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams, and organizations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast directory, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review, and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.